Yes. Uh, if you had an opportunity to come uh, Saturday or uh, Friday night, uh, we got a chance to watch that entire movie. And for some of you, that was the first time you'd seen that, that movie. I was really kind of surprised. Uh, but that's, uh, that, you know, to me, that is just the, the epitome or the climax of this entire Christmas story. The, the old man who has this major award, this achievement, that he's, he has no idea what's in the box, but he has won this uh, major award. And no matter what it is, it, it's, it's, it's this symbol that he can be really proud of. For Ralphie, <laughs> later on, in, in just a couple uh, uh, shots there, he's going to call it electric sex. We see him touching this leg. and How can you keep your eyes off of that? Okay? It's right here. It's right in, on our stage, right here in our church. Or the mother. Maybe this is where you find yourself. It's scandalous. It's shame. She's, she doesn't know what to say. She's standing there. And, you're going to put that where? <laughs> where are you going to put that? What, what will the neighbors think of this? And of course, they're all standing around looking at the window and what's in that window. It all comes in a crate that says... Fragile, yeah, you pronounced it right. This indescribably incredible, beautiful thing. And I think that's kind of like what Christmas is a little bit for us on, on, on that Christmas morning. When we receive that package and we don't know what it is. I mean, there, I, have, I, have to, I have to admit there are some packages that I get every Christmas. It's always the tradition uh, for one, one individual in our family is usually Katie's grandmother, but now somebody else has taken over that job. And uh, I get a package of M&Ms. And I know what it is. And everybody's always disappointed because I guess what's in that package. It's like, oh, come on, you just spoiled it for us. We all know what it is. It's a bag of M&Ms. But there are a lot of those gifts that we get where you're like, I wonder what's in that box. It's a surprise. There's a little bit of tension. Will I like it? I don't know. So we shake it. And somebody might say, wait, don't do that. It's fragile. It's fragile. We try to guess what's in the package. And when you open it, there's that fear of, will I like it? Will it bring me joy? Will, we bring, will it bring me satisfaction? Let's look at the story that we know well. And as, as we look at the Christmas story, we're going we're gonna to spend our time, a, a lot of our time uh, this morning in that Christmas story, the one that we know very well. Uh, and I think uh, what has been described oftentimes when we look at these very familiar stories is called a lullaby effect. I've used that phrase. I think Paul's used that phrase a couple times. Do you understand where you, you hear it so many times and you can almost recite it? but you're kind of lulled to sleep by that story that you miss the treasures. You miss the things that are hidden in that text that will show us something that is buried deep within, a gift that God wants to give us. And, and also I want to say, and, and Paul kind of alluded to this, we, we kind of dress up Christmas, don't we? I got a beautiful card. I dropped off one of our exchange students at the airport this morning, and she gave me a card, and I opened it up, 
And it's a beautiful Christmas card, and we love Christmas cards. It's, a, it is, it's the manger scene, you know, with all of the different characters dressed in uh, their costumes and things like that. And it was a beautiful card. But I have to think that that first Christmas, it wasn't quite like that. I don't think the shepherds had just this beautiful outfit. I don't know that Mary and Joseph had costumes that were designed quite like we do for our manger scenes. It was just real life. God comes in the middle of our life, and he shares his story, and it intersects with our story, my story, your story. And as Katie shared just a little while ago, that beautiful element of the story that has been written in her life, and God intersects that and brings something beautiful out of that. And then if we see it, we'll see that it becomes then our collective story. This is, this is our, our story. And as, as we look at this Christmas story, I don't mean to take your Christmas story and poke holes in it. I want to qualify this. Instead, I want us to consider as we dig into this story that we might find depth to the narrative that could bring us greater joy than we've ever had. So what are the problems as we look at this? This is a question that you and I are free to ask. What are the problems that we see in this story? What are the hints? What are the buried treasures? And recognize that a good story, all good stories, require tension. Tension keeps us sitting on the edge of our seat, waiting for the resolution, which generally comes near the conclusion of the story. So let's lean into that tension this morning. Let's look at the first part of the story. It's, it's from uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this is Mary's cousin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in a, a town of Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since, since I am a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, uh, to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to have been able to, unable to conceive is in her sixth month. <clears throat> For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. What's the tension here? 
What are, the, what are some of the problems that you see in this story that you know so well? What kind of gift is this, I think, would be Mary's question. How, how can this be, she says. I hear not just the idea of the impossibility of how can this be because I'm a virgin, which is right. I think it is, it's also that she will, as a virgin, has now become pregnant. I hear, how can this happen to me? I'm pledged to be married to Joseph, who is an upstanding man from the line of David. I, I have my life before me. I've made plans for my happy family and my beautiful home. How can this be? How can this be? This is going to change everything. And she didn't ask for this. She didn't ask for this. Not only that, think about the question that's unasked yet. What will my family think? What will my friends think? What will the community around me think? When I go to see Elizabeth, and of course we know what happens in that story, what is she going to say? Let's go to the second part of the story. We've talked about Mary here just for a minute. Let's go to Joseph and Matthew. We're going to go back to Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home to be your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. What is the tension here? What is this text? How does this text describe this man who, after this story, after the story of the birth of Jesus, Joseph just kind of fades out of existence in the text. But in this moment, we find a man who is upstanding. He is, he is committed to the Torah. He is a man of the law. And he is spoken of highly, which probably is one of the reasons why he is chosen. And as such, he is going to do the right thing because he is a man of the Torah. He's a man of the law. He is going to not defile himself by marrying somebody who is pregnant out of wedlock. No hint of propriety should be about him. And so this is what he considers. By choosing to do what the angel instructed him to do, this will change his life. How will this change his career? How will this change his position in the community? Will he even be thrown out of the synagogue in Nazareth? 
where he would read from the Torah on a regular basis. This is going to change his life. Then the next part of the story continues on in Luke because now we have Mary and we've looked at some of the tension in her story and what she has to deal with and we've looked at Joseph and what he's having to deal with and how their lives are in turmoil now. While this is good news, we understand it as good news. This is something that they have to walk through and live with and then watch what happens. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, which is the city of David, right? Because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them, the NIV says. What's up here? Add to the tension that has been building in their lives. They have an order now to go home, just like everybody else. They go home. All of that worry and concern that they might have had, how can this be, is now coming to fruition. Guess who's coming to dinner? And they have to face their family. Now, I just want to... Uh, talk a little bit about what happens here at the very end of that text because there was no guest room available to them. When it comes to the account of Jesus' birth, it seems like the villain was who? If you read it in the King James, we always add to the story another character. Even in the Charlie Brown Christmas story, somebody had to be the innkeeper and of course, Sally got to be the innkeeper's wife. Isn't he the cutest thing? If you haven't seen that, shame on you. You need to see that, you need to see that movie. <laughs> because Linus was the innkeeper. <laughs> but there was no innkeeper in the story. And here's where I'm going to poke the hole in your story. There was no inn. That's not what the text says. The text literally says... There was no guest room. There was no kataluma, which is the Greek word that is there. Later on in Luke, he will use the word in, and it's not this word. There is no guest room for Mary and Joseph. Perhaps, although many people picture, <laughs> we... We often picture, when we think of this story, that there's no room in the inn. We think of a motel with a large neon sign that says, no vacancy, and we're, they're turned down. It's like, oh, where do I go? I'm relegated over here because there was no inn. There's no biblical concept for this. The Greek word is house. Mary and Joseph were going home. Remember the census. 
they would have went to the family house, which was like a compound. And, and you could see the ruins in, in, the, the, in Israel today of a lot of these places where there was a, there was a stone enclosure around the house and the area that each family would own. And in that enclosure was this building that they kept adding rooms to. And this was their family inheritance. The family would go back to their home, they would, and they would eat in a common area, and they would sleep in a common area. And in many homes, there was a guest room for a person like Mary who would be giving birth. This was a place that a young couple could have privacy while the rest of the family were gathered over here. And there's a lot more that I could allude to. In my father's house are many rooms, and he goes there to prepare a place. This is where Mary and Joseph would have been. The idea that there is no room for Mary and Joseph is ridiculous. There's always room. What has been reiterated to me, there's always room in a Jewish home. You just scoot over. You just squeeze in. You make room. What it meant in the text was there's no room because you are shameful. You are a disgrace. The fear that Mary and Joseph had, which would cause Joseph to consider divorcing her or Mary to consider what, how can this be? Their family basically shut the door on Mary and Joseph. And so the only place that they had to go was where the Bedouin shepherds, remember our story from last week? These who were outcast and marginalized and forgotten. They went to the shepherd's cave. And there's a, there'll be a picture up here of a cave I, I took of when I was in Bethlehem, actually, uh, a little over a year ago. And we actually, if you go to the next picture, you'll see we all went inside of this cave. And we saw the shepherds that were keeping watch over their sheep. They still do this today. And in this cave, you can find remnants of the shepherds. In fact, they were probably there that night after we were there during the day. This is where they would find shelter in the evening. And this is where Mary and Joseph would have been, a cave like this. It's not a very clean place, not a very nice place, but this is where they go. We like our Christianity, our faith. We like it wrapped in neat packages with a bow on top. I love wrapping presents at Christmas time. My family, actually, when they come and gather at our place, they're like, hey, I've still got presents to wrap. Hey, Lowell, will you wrap them? I love to wrap presents. They are pretty. They are shiny. They are clean. They are special. But we miss out on the gift because we, we fail to open it. We are so enthralled with the prettiness of the package. And we spend so much time in our Christian circles trying to insulate and isolate ourselves and our children. We say, don't do this. Don't be like this. And we've taught many lessons 
that will help one of a, another to behave. And I'm not saying that we should throw out those lessons. Please don't misunderstand me. But when we see people are hurting and broken, what does God want you and I to see? What is the gift that he's bringing in the middle of this? Just like for Mary and Joseph. And I think Paul had some words to this from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But God chose the foolishness, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, read shepherds, and the despised things, read Mary who is an unwed mother. And the things that are not, Joseph, who has lost his, possibly lost his position, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom of God, from God. That is, our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption, not because of our behavior, it's because of what he does. God uses the foolish things. God uses the things that are shameful and despised. And in those things, there is a gift that God desires to bring all of us, that even in our messed up world, in the middle of our brokenness and in our shame, God shows up and gives us the greatest gift. And I think if we'll look deep down, we can see the stories within our own life. I was talking to Mark the other day when we were here watching the movie, and we were talking about how sometimes we come into tension and conflict with other people. And we get so wrapped up in that moment that we forget to see the gift in the other people. But if we would take some time to just look into the other person's eyes, and to see beyond that tension the good gift that God gives us through one another. When we allow our notions of what is accepted and what is not accepted to keep at arm's length anyone we may be miss who may be missing out on some of the greatest gifts that God desires to pour out to us. That was Katie's story. How shameful. How shameful it is for the church to push aside anybody and say, you are not worthy. And you have nothing to bring. But God has instilled in each and every one of us a gift. And he wants that to come out. This is the beautiful lesson that we learn about Mary and Joseph in the shepherd's stall. God intentionally brought his greatest gift through that which was shameful and despised. How is God doing that for us today? We might look at the things we have found shameful and despised today and wonder, how could God use that? We distance ourselves 
from these things that are ugly and foolish, and we think that God will never use that, but indeed, he is using that even today. And he shows us that he still chooses to bring his gift in surprising places, unique places, places that are lowly and unexpected. God shows up there. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. I, I just want to pause there for a second. For the shepherds, this was no shameful thing. When the people that should have welcomed Mary and Joseph cast them out, here are the shepherds, and they couldn't wait to tell the story. Even while they're still in the shepherd's cave, and the baby is still in the manger, they went out and they told all of their friends, and they had, they had a party. The family got together in that place and saw this gift, and they did not miss out. They did not miss out. And then I love this, but Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart, which I think it's a beautiful question. Trying to discern, God, what is the gift that you are giving me and through me? That's, that's the position that we should have today to be able to look at the other, even though that person, we might even feel that way about ourselves, might be living a life that is unbecoming. It would be strange to have that person sitting next to us at the table. It would be awkward maybe to have them come through the doors of the church. I'm thankful that we don't hear those stories as much, and I hope we never do. And they will be like the leg lamps, <laughs> right? It'd be kind of awkward. Why would we do this? But it is a picture. It is an image. And we, and we are like Mary, and we ponder in our heart, God, what, what gift are you bringing in this moment? The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And on the eighth day, it was time to circumcise the child. He was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Jesus. Yeshua or in our translated Jewish language, Hebrew language, Joshua, God's salvation for his people. That's the beauty that God brings us. That is the gift that he desires for us to open up in these packages. And as Katie mentioned in her story, 
we can all recognize and understand that is it a new way of being, a new way of being for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for the gift that you give us in Jesus Christ. Father, help us to see with your eyes. Help us to step outside of our isolation and insulation that we can see the good gifts that you wrap in unlikely wrappings and paper and to see beyond, uh, to see the treasure that you desire to give us because we are your treasured possessions. Thank you for your love for us that calls us your beloved sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.